Well, good morning once again. Please take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 5. I'm just kidding. Um, I did that the last time I preached. I don't know if you caught that, but I did it when Tom was not here. I wanted to do it when he was here, just for fun. I wanted to say turn to Acts 5. We're going to clean some things up that Pastor Leek missed. No, there's no need of that, brother. Thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness each week. We are so blessed here. Let's turn to Galatians instead. Galatians chapter 1. Well, I'd like to apologize in advance uh, for those of you who were here at the Gamma Conference yesterday. You heard some really good preaching and teaching. Pastor George Lawson, Pastor Dave Jordan, Pastor Leek, others who taught breakout sessions. And now you have to hear me. So I'm, I'm really sorry. Uh, I'm sorry for the letdown, okay? Galatians chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read that at least and really focus on verses 3 through 10. Galatians chapter 1, follow along as I read verses 1 through 10. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Well, the title of my message this morning is Only One Gospel. And today, uh, and I want to just say that uh, I'm very thankful every time I get an opportunity to preach here. And, um, you know, when I have preached in the past and when I've been a pastor, I preach through books just like our pastor does. And so whenever I get an opportunity to preach here, it just seems like the Lord is always directing me back to the gospel, uh, to preach the gospel, to be clear on the gospel. And, And I would say with the Apostle Paul, I have no trouble saying the same things to you. I think we need to be reminded of the gospel on a regular basis. Amen. And so today, as we look at this text, that there is only one gospel, there are four questions that I want to ask and four questions that I want to answer. And that will be my outline this morning. First of all, what is the gospel? Secondly, how many gospels are there? Thirdly, what are the consequences of adding to the one true gospel? And number four, what is the motivation behind embracing another gospel? So let's begin, first of all, with what is the gospel? 
Paul here in verses 3 through 5 really outline and show us what the gospel is. Much like many of his greetings when he writes his epistles, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Grace to you. It is the gospel of grace. Grace is a good word. It is the unmerited favor of God. God has given us something that we do not deserve, nothing that we could earn or work for or merit. God gives us the forgiveness of our sins. God grants to us eternal life. And because of God's amazing and marvelous and magnificent grace, we have peace with God. That is only possible because of God's grace. For with, that, with no grace, there is no peace. Paul would write in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, verses we all know, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no man may boast. Verse 4, Paul talks about the fact that Christ gave himself for our sins so that there was a purpose in his death that he might rescue us from this present evil age. And here we understand that we had a need to be rescued. We were dead in our sins. We were helpless. We were hopeless. We were in desperate need of salvation. We could not save ourselves. Verse 5, this grace, this gospel was according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. I don't think I could pick pick a more fitting chorus or hymn that we just sang to introduce this text to you this morning. God gets all the glory in salvation because God does it all. Amen? The gospel is all about God. It begins with God. It is all about what he has done for us. Salvation truly is of the Lord. And the Galatians that Paul is writing here, they knew the gospel. They had heard the gospel. And you and I this morning, I would say a majority of us, unless this is the first time you've ever walked into a Bible church, we know the gospel and we have heard the gospel. But one thing that I have learned in gospel ministry is this, never assume the gospel. Never assume it. So whenever I speak at an FCA meeting on a weekly basis at the Naval Academy, by God's grace, I I try not to assume the gospel. When I go speak in another church, when I go speak at a high school or a college, and whenever I preach here at Hope Bible Church, I don't want to assume the gospel. So I'd like to take some time here and remind all of us of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For those here who may not know it and For all of us, again, as a reminder that we might know it and know how to proclaim it and know how to defend it. So what is the gospel? I love to say this. I stole it from someone else. We're all good thieves. The gospel begins with God and his glory and not with man and his needs. We we need to know that, especially in America. The gospel begins with God and his glory and not with man and his needs. Earlier, I read from Romans chapter 1. Paul wrote that epistle. As I said, many have said that is the greatest letter ever written. 
He writes to believers. He writes to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. He writes to those who had trusted in Christ as Savior and Lord. Yet he says in verse 15, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Never assume the gospel and never tire of reminding believers of the gospel. The gospel is good news. And we need to know the good news, especially as we live among this, in this evil and perverse generation. We need to hear the gospel. We need to be reminded of the gospel. And we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. And so I want to give all of us today a short reminder of the gospel for our own selves, for our good, so that we are always ready to share with others. And again, a simple way, this is not original for me, but a simple way to share the gospel, God, man, Christ response. That's an easy way when someone asks you, why do you believe what you believe or what is the gospel? If you could just think in that way, God, man, Christ response. So we begin with God. Every gospel presentation should begin with God. The fact that God is holy. God is the creator of all things. God is eternal. God has always been and God will always be. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. God is sovereign over all things. As R.C. Sproul has said, if there's just one maverick molecule outside of the sovereignty of God, it could mess up and and delete all his promises that he has for us. He is sovereign over all things, including the United States Supreme Court and midterm elections and even rising gas prices. God is self-sufficient. He is in need of nothing. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need anything from us. God did not create us because he was lonely. He and the Son and the Holy Spirit were doing just fine for all of eternity. God is holy. God is separate from his creation. He is unstained by the world. He is the creator of man. He made man in his own image, perfect and free of sin. So that is God. Second, we look at man. And again, man was created perfect. Man was created in the image of God. He was made sinless and spotless. He had a perfect relationship with God, unhindered. Adam had the ability to always do what was right. And again, enjoyed this perfect communion with a holy God. Man was tempted, not by God, but by Satan. He fell, he rebelled against the holy God. And that has brought consequences for all men. We read of this in Romans 5.12. Every man that is ever born, every boy, every girl that is ever born is born a sinner, dead in sin, at odds and at enmity with God. When I was younger and I was beginning to understand this truth, when I read about this and when I was learning the Romans road, if you know what that is, and when I was learning about Adam's sin and how Adam's sin ruined it for all of us, I was pretty ticked off at Adam. And I thought, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a conversation with him. But the truth is, Adam simply acted as our representative. You and I would have done the very same thing, and I always like to say, I would have done it sooner. And because of Adam's sin, we are all born in sin. We are all born sinners, born with original sin, 
David talks about this in Psalm 51, 5. Surely I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. The doctrine of original sin would teach that I am not a sinner because I sin, but I sin because I am a sinner. It's a big difference there. I want to say that again. I am not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I am a sinner. It's my very nature. And the Bible tells us our sins have separated us from God in Isaiah 59 too, that he cannot hear. Our relationship with God has been broken and that is bad news. We need to know the bad news before we will see our need of receiving the good news. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are walking according to the course of this world. We are subject to the evil rule of Satan. We are by nature children of wrath. And we are unable to change our dreadful condition. And because of this, we are all on our way to hell for eternity. A real place, a place where there is no relief, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. But then we get to Christ. The but God part. The two biggest words in the Bible together. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, when we were his enemies, when we were helpless and hopeless, it was then that God made us together. God made us alive together in Christ. By grace, we have been saved. We learn about Jesus and who he is in the opening words of John's gospel. In the beginning was the word. We know the word is Christ. The word was with God and the word was God. We learn that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect and sinless life. And he died a sacrificial, atoning, substitutionary death in our place for sinners. He bled and died for all who would ever place their trust in him. He was buried. He rose from the dead on the third day. He appeared to many over a 40-day period, he, including 500 brethren at one time. We learn that he is presently seated at God's right hand. After he raised from the dead, after he ascended, he sat down at the right hand of God, not because he was tired, but because his work was complete. And now we learn that he is preparing a place for us, that he is interceding for us, and that he is coming again. Hallelujah. And then what is our response to this incredible truth? Our response is belief. Entrusting your life to Christ. It's so much more than a simple head knowledge. It's not an intellectual ascent. It is entrusting yourself to Christ. In John chapter 2, we see that many, after the, the miracle in Cana, when Jesus turned the water into wine, many were beginning to follow him because of the miracles he was doing. And the Bible says that many were believing in him, but he was not believing in them because he knew all men. He knew their hearts. It is entrusting your life to Christ. It is faith in who Jesus is and what he has done on our behalf. It is a trust in his death, burial, and resurrection. It's a belief that he is the son of God and that he alone is the only way to heaven. It's through faith. Faith alone, sola fide. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in prison and there is a great earthquake and the doors are open and all their chains are loosed. And the jailer 
who had been torturing the prisoners, thinking that they had all escaped, is about to take his own life because that would be the punishment for him losing just one inmate. And so he thinks, I'll just take care of this myself. But before he does that, Paul cries out and says, don't do this. We are all here. And God so grips the heart of this man that he says to Paul, what must I do to be saved? That is the billion dollar question, isn't it? It used to be a million dollar, but inflation, it's up to a billion dollar now. (laughs) Well, the answer is found in Acts 16.31. Paul could have said a lot of things, but this is what he said. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Faith alone. Faith brings justification. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So God, man, Christ response. It's a simple way to remember the gospel. It's a simple way to share the gospel. Are you able to do that? You say, Kirby, I'm a believer in Christ. If I came to you and said, share the gospel, tell me what the gospel is. Would you be able to do that? Or would you say, let me go find a pastor? Peter says this, 1 Peter 3.15, honor Christ as Lord in your hearts, always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation has been provided by God through the person and through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second question we want to ask and then answer is this. How many gospels are there? Are you ready? This is earth shattering. One. There's one. We should be able to move to the next point, but we need to spend a little time here. Because look at what Paul says in verses six and seven. This is, I mean, if you read the other letters that Paul writes, this is so not like Paul. He usually spends some time thanking them. And as we read in Romans, he he commends them because their faith is being spread. Everyone knows uh, throughout the world of their faith. The Thessalonians, your love for the brethren is evident. Keep hearing these good reports. Paul gets right to it and he says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. If you're familiar with the Apostle Paul, You know that he had founded churches in Galatia during his first missionary journey in southern Galatia, in the cities of Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derbe. You can read about that in Acts chapter 13 to 14. And here we see that the Galatians had heard the gospel. They had heard the good news. The Galatians had believed the gospel. They had embraced the good news. But then something happened. A group showed up called the Judaizers, false teachers. And they came in and they came in to disturb these Galatian believers. They came in to twist and distort the gospel of Christ. Saying, it's not enough to simply believe in Christ for salvation. Justification is not by faith alone. That's too easy. It's too simple. It's not enough There is something that you must do in order to be saved. And so they added to the gospel. They added 
to the free grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what Paul says here in verse 6. I am amazed. Paul marvels here. He's beside himself. He's in a state of unbelief. R.C. Sproul calls this apostolic astonishment. I think that's a good way to describe this. He was astonished that they were so quickly deserting him, that they were deserting God. The one who called them, who effectually called him, called them to himself. The one who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That you are deserting the one who called you out of death into life. That you are deserting the one who called you out of your sins to believe the gospel for a different gospel. Wait a minute, you go, wait, there is more than one gospel? I mean, that would really wreck my sermon outline and my sermon title. No, there is only one gospel. And we see something astounding here that Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, kind of corrects himself in mid-sentence. He says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel Ah, which is really not another. Because there is only one gospel. There's only one form. There's only one source of good news. And beloved, the good news is that salvation is of the Lord. That salvation is not up to me. That is great news. Amen? Some people get so offended by this. They hate John Calvin. They hate Calvinistic teaching. They hate a reformed view of soteriology or salvation. They hate the fact that some teach that we contribute nothing to our salvation. They hate that salvation in our view is monergistic and not synergistic. Because in our pride, we want to think that there is something we did to contribute to our own salvation. That, hey, we'll concede, God did most of it. I'll even give him 99%. But I got to take a little bit of credit. I saw the light. I believed. I made a righteous choice. We cooperated with God is what many would like to believe. This was a popular illustration back in the 90s. I remember hearing pastors share this, that we were all swimming in the ocean, having a great time. But our sin began to weigh us down and we began to drown. And Jesus jumped in, man, ultimate lifeguard, right? And he's jumping in and he is saving people from drowning. But we were the ones who saw our need of salvation. We made a righteous choice and we reached out and grabbed his hand to be saved. We cooperated with him. And others are not saved because they did not reach out to him. We've got the illustration all wrong. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were at the bottom of the ocean floor. I remember when I was coming to an understanding of the sovereignty of God and salvation, probably in 1994, I grew up in an Arminian church. It's where I was saved. I'm very thankful for that. I'm thankful for those who preach the gospel where I could hear uh, the good news and where I believed as on Christ as my savior but when I was coming to an understanding of this, it was so enlightening. And, and so I started teaching in my college age group a study called The Sinfulness of Man and the Sovereignty of God. 
There wasn't a lot of excitement over that study besides me. But man, I was pumped. I was learning these great truths and I wanted to teach it to everybody who would listen. And I remember coming to Ephesians chapter 2 and and seeing this language where Paul says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And back then I had no Greek, no Hebrew, no training. I had a concordance though. And I remember looking that word up and thinking, okay, wonder wonder what the words are going to be here. And I was kind of disappointed when I turned to the word necros and there was one word, dead. And I saw a word there next to it, necus, which meant, which meant corpse. The Bible does not say that we were partially dead or half dead or even mostly dead, Princess Bride. <laughs> the Bible says that we were dead. And what can a dead man do? Absolutely nothing. He cannot even reach out and grab the hand of Jesus to be saved. Salvation is of the Lord. We see that phrase in Jonah 2.9, and I don't know about you, but I trust a man who has spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish. I think we can learn a lot of theology from a man like that. It is so good that salvation is not up to us, amen? There are so many who live in this world who believe in God or believe in a God or a higher being, or a creator, or an intelligent designer, and who believe there is a heaven or an afterlife, but they believe in order to get to heaven, in order to receive eternal life, that they must do good works. That their good must outweigh their bad. That salvation is not of the Lord, that salvation is up to them. That's not good news. That is no way to live your life. Friend, if that is true of you here today, listen to me, if you would, this morning. There is no amount of good works that you could ever do to be pleasing to a holy God. God is holy. God is perfect. God is not looking for those whose good outweighs their bad. God is looking for and God demands perfection. He is looking for perfect people. God is looking for holy people. For as we read in Hebrews, without holiness, no one can see the Lord. And that is where we have a big problem. We are not holy. We are not perfect. We have all sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And so our only hope is to place our faith and trust in the one who was perfect in our place. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21. I love those verses where you can find the gospel in one verse. And that's one of them. Where Paul says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. My sin for his righteousness. Greatest trait ever. I remember seeing a man one time. I think it was at Kings Island, which is an amusement park in Cincinnati. And I, I passed this guy. So we're going to a ride or something. And he had like a picture of Christ on his T-shirt on the cross. And so it was very vivid. And I kind of wanted to see what was on the back of his shirt. And this is what the back of his shirt said. It didn't just say Jesus saves or Jesus loves you. It said, the righteousness that God requires is the very righteousness that God's righteousness required. And I was like, What? 
So I started following that guy around. Because I had to really think about that statement. And you might have to go home today and think about that. You're like, man, I was going to watch football, but now I've got to think about this. <laughs> the righteousness that God requires is the righteousness that God's righteousness required. That's so deep. Our only hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life in our place in our stead. That is the good news. That is the gospel. And so, friend, if you're here today and you're still trying to please God in your flesh, you're still trying to earn God's favor with your good works, you are striving every day to make sure your good outweighs your bad, let me give you one loving word of encouragement. Stop. Stop embracing the bad news. Stop embracing the news that salvation is somehow up to you and embrace Christ. Embrace the gospel. Believe the good news that salvation is of the Lord. Perhaps you're here and you've never heard the gospel before. Or perhaps you have heard the gospel before, but you've deserted the one who called you by the grace of Christ. Perhaps you have embraced another gospel, which Paul says is really not another The Bible would say to you to repent, to turn from your sin, to turn back to the one true gospel where we see that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Number three, what are the consequences of adding to the one true gospel? What are the consequences of adding to the one true gospel? Well, we see that answer here in verses 8 and 9. Paul says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Paul reminds the Galatians here that there is only one gospel, There are not multiple gospels. There are not many ways of salvation. There are not many ways to the Father and to everlasting life. There is one way. And Paul is being a little facetious here when he says that even if we, one of the apostles, or one associated with the apostles, if if one of us showed up in one of the churches in Galatia and began to preach a message that was contrary to, to the message that they had first received from Paul when he established the churches in Galatia. If anyone came in and preached a message contrary to that one gospel where salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And he even says this, if an angel from heaven should drop in on a Sunday from heaven and preached a message contrary to the one true gospel. If an apostle or an angel or anyone else, no matter what their credentials, no matter where they had been to seminary, no matter how many degrees they may have, no matter how large their church, no matter how many millions of books they have sold in Christian bookstores, no matter how many subscribers to their podcast, if any man or any woman preaches a gospel to you contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. 
The Greek is anathema. I remember the first time I heard this word spoken. It was by R.C. Sproul. And even the way he said it, it scared me. I was a believer, but the way he said anathema, it just, I was terrified. The meaning is damned. Paul says, let that apostle, let that angel, let that popular preacher be damned. Let him be accursed. This is so serious, isn't it? There is only one gospel. There are not multiple gospels. There are not multiple ways to heaven. There are not many ways to be saved. There is one way. Jesus said, I am not a way. He said, I am the way. I love that the early Christians were known as followers of the way. They got it. They understood it. Jesus said that no one comes to the Father except through me. And you say, Kirby, this is 2018. Doesn't sound very tolerant. Sounds pretty narrow. Yeah. Sounds rather exclusive. Absolutely. The disciples continued with this message after Jesus ascended back to heaven. Peter preached this, Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And so we are told here, in love, a strong rebuke to the Galatians, that we are not to entertain those who add to the gospel of Christ. We are not to entertain, we are not to embrace those who would say that salvation by faith alone is not enough. We are not to give an ear to those who would present to you and I another gospel. Those who add to the grace of Christ, those who add to the gospel of Christ, those who would teach and preach that salvation is not by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone, will not have a good ending. They will be accursed. They will be damned for all eternity. And this will be true of all those who follow them and embrace their false gospel. Eternal damnation. No escape. No second chance. And no relief. Beloved, let us be careful who we watch on television. And who we listen to on the radio or online whose podcasts we subscribe to. There's a, there's a pastor in Atlanta right now that is doing so much damage to the church, it's unbelievable. His name's Andy Stanley. Don't listen to him. I hear Christian businessmen all the time saying, oh, I, listen, I love Andy Stanley. I love his podcasts. Be careful what books you purchase in the Christian bookstore. We need to have discernment. We need to be like the Bereans who examined the scriptures. I love that they would go home and check out what the Apostle Paul was saying. Ah, is that true? Let's look in our Bible. Let's make sure that what Paul is saying was true. How much more for us? Do that with me this afternoon. There is only one gospel. On Friday, I got to visit my very first class I've ever been to at the United States Naval Academy. Didn't have to wear a uniform. I went with a friend of mine named Ben. It's a guy that I'm discipling. And 
He's taking a class called The History of Christianity, and I was doing a research paper, and he was asking me for some help on his paper, and so I was helping him, and I was like, you know what, I think I'd like to come to your class sometime, and he said, yeah, let me check with my professor, and, and he got approval, and so I went to class on Friday. It was a great class, a great experience. In the providence of God and God's kindness, uh, the class that I attended was on Martin Luther, It was all about the Reformation, the 95 Theses, the Diet of Worms, and uh, it was great. Really a great professor, uh, definitely a learned, well-educated man. He was very gracious and kind, pleasant to listen to. He accurately taught about Luther and his his view on justification by faith alone. I found myself nodding the entire time. I was like, this guy is right on. But the professor is part of a church, a religious institution that, yes, believes that God is the creator of all things, would believe and affirm that Jesus is God, would even say and believe that the Bible is God's word, but part of an institution that rejects salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, but instead embraces salvation by faith plus works. We cannot both be right. There is only one gospel. Fourthly, finally, what is the motivation behind embracing another gospel? What is the motivation behind embracing another gospel? Look at verse 10. Paul says, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. The Galatians here that Paul is addressing here in this epistle in what I believe is the strongest rebuke that we see from the apostle in all the New Testament were more interested in pleasing man than pleasing God. They heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They believed the gospel of Jesus Christ that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ and Christ alone. But then the Judaizers came in and said, your belief is not enough. You cannot be justified by faith only. You must become like us. You must embrace our gospel. And sadly, the Galatians listened. And they entertained a teaching that came not from heaven, but from hell. And they embraced a theology that came not from the Father in heaven, but from the Father of lies. And they were more interested in pleasing men than pleasing God. Paul gives personal experience here. He says that if I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And here we learn we cannot please both God and man. This is how Paul used to live. This is how he lived when he was Saul of Tarsus. He thought he was living to please God, but in reality he was living to please man. Friend, I would just say to you, there is great temptation today to be inclusive. Especially today as we live in a world and in a culture that would label us as bigots, as hateful for our exclusivity. For believing that Jesus is the only way to heaven. For believing that there is only one gospel. There is great temptation even for me to see a man who clearly believes in another gospel, but 
to embrace him and his false theology simply because he's sincere and he's kind and nice and because I want him to like me and accept me. Beloved, we are to live our lives for an audience of one. We will all one day stand before the Lord Jesus Christ at the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. And we will stand before Christ and Christ alone. We will not stand in front of a group of our peers. We will give an account of our lives before the one who sees and knows all things, who will evaluate us and examine us to see if we lived our lives to be pleasing to God or to be pleasing to man. Please know and understand today that there is one gospel, the good news, the best news I could give any of you is that salvation is not up to you. Salvation is not achieved by what you do to gain eternal life, but it is about what God has done for you through the person of Jesus Christ to grant you eternal life and to grant you the forgiveness of your sins. Have you believed in the one true gospel? Have you embraced another gospel, which Paul would say, would say is really not another? And are you able to defend and proclaim the one true gospel of Jesus Christ? May God help us all and remind us once again today that salvation is of the Lord and the good news is that he has done it all. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for doing in us what we could have never done for ourselves. Lord, we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. We were at the bottom of the ocean floor. We were not just drowning. We were drowned. We were dead. We could not reach out to you. We didn't see our need of salvation. We were running the other direction. We were helpless, we were hopeless, we were your enemies, we were at war with you, we were not your friends, we were subject to the evil rule of Satan, we were walking according to the prince of the power of the air, we were by nature children of wrath, and Lord there is nothing we could do to change our dreadful condition, but God. Thank you for those words. Thank you for the gospel. Because of the richness of your mercy, because of your great love with which you loved us, you have made us alive together in Christ. By grace, we have been saved. We again thank you for that gospel that was delivered to us. Lord, I thank you for, in my own life, even in a a legalistic church, That is where I heard the gospel and heard of my need of salvation and heard about the reality of hell and eternal damnation apart from your love and mercy. And God, you and your kindness granted faith and repentance, repentance of sin, faith to believe in your son that I might be saved. And Lord, for those of us who are here today, we could say the very same thing. We thank you for those messengers who obeyed you and 
declared the gospel with their lips or wrote it down in a book for us to read and see our need of you. Lord, I pray that we would always know and understand that there is only one gospel. There are not two or three or a thousand. There is one way to the Father and it's through grace. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Lord, may we never desert you, the one who called us, who effectually called us to salvation. May we understand there is only one gospel. May we be faithful to you. Lord, protect us. Protect our church from those who would love to come in here and disturb and distort the gospel and get us to want to add to the gospel, to see that it's not enough to simply believe. May we recognize that error. May we know the gospel so well. May we know the truth of your word so well that we will be able to, to spot a counterfeit whenever they would come our way. I pray if there's anyone here today, Lord, that has never trusted you, that today might be the day of their salvation, that you would rescue them, grant them eternal life. And Lord, we for eternity will give you glory and we will cry out with Jonah and with all the saints that salvation is of the Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.